Welcome to this edition of the Louisville Luxury Homes podcast series brought to you by John Mann with Winningham Sotheby's International Realty. John, good to see you. How are you today? I'm doing great, Greg. Good to see you. I want to talk today, and I hope you're up for it, about a subject that comes up, I guess, with almost every property purchase, how someone's going to finance it and some of the options that are available to them, and especially in the high-end segment that you work a lot in. Absolutely, yeah. So I guess a lot of people get confused by cash purchases versus um, a mortgage purchase and whether or not they should talk to a bank or a broker. Can you walk us through some of the decisions that should be made and some of the pros and cons of each approach? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the uh, Let's start with the cash purchase. Um, you know, that's something that we obviously see a lot more of at our uh, uh, end of the market um, than you may, uh, you know, in a uh, the lower price points, but at the high end, you know, we obviously have a lot of uh, affluent uh, clients, and uh, so cash cash offers are uh, are pretty common in our uh, in our segment. Um, think- you said obviously. I, I think for a lot of people who have not worked in the high end segment, it's not as obvious as you make it sound. So I, I know I've heard from a lot of people who are moving up in segments or a lot of people who are coming to the market that they're surprised by that. Well, I mean, you certain you have people with more uh, liquidity, you know, more assets, uh, savings that they've built up. Obviously, you know, a lot of our clientele are going to be uh, you know, self-employed professionals, uh, doctors, uh, uh, attorneys, uh, small business owners, executives, you know, that sort of thing. So um, these are people that have uh, investment accounts and, and savings accounts and, uh, you know, over the years uh, have saved up uh, some liquidity. So uh, the cash offer is something that uh, they often have the uh, wherewithal uh, to do. However, um, you know, one thing I, I would say is that uh, a cash offer doesn't necessarily mean that they're closing with cash. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think there is that misconception that someone might show up with a uh, a duffel bag with uh, 20s or 50s uh, rolled up or something. Yeah, exactly. Unmarked bills, right? right. Small bills. <laughs> um, no, I mean, what, what we see often is that uh, the cash offer, uh, the primary purpose is to convey uh, to the seller the strength of the uh, individual, you know, their financial wherewithal and ability to complete the purchase. Um, and then uh, secondly... Um, Making a cash offer uh, removes one of the contingencies that we often see in the contract. Um, so uh, in Louisville, we, we typically see uh, three primary contingencies in an offer. Uh, those would be uh, the inspection contingency, uh, which we've talked about uh, before, uh, and then an appraisal contingency, and then kind of tied into that, um, a financing contingency. So uh, by making a cash offer, uh, you can remove the financing contingency from the contract, and then uh, you know with a cash offer, there's also the ability, uh, since you don't have necessarily have a lender involved, uh, to remove the appraisal contingency if a buyer uh, wanted to strengthen their uh, offer even further with some of the non-cash uh, uh, terms of it. So uh, it can ultimately help uh, the purchaser. Uh, possibly drive the purchase price a little bit lower uh, by making that cash offer, removing the financing contingency, um, and then uh, associated with that, the uh, potentially the appraisal contingency as well. So that's a, that's a big reason. And do you find that a lot of people do remove the appraisal contingency? So that would be two steps, right? They're not necessarily connected, but you have the option to make a cash offer and then the buyer could have the appraisal or not have the appraisal. That's your choice. But do you find that a lot of people, if they make a cash offer, decide 
to skip the appraisal? They'll often uh, remove it as a contingency. They may still get an appraisal just to have it in the file, but if they've done their homework and their agent's done their homework, I mean, obviously we can drill down on the values of these things uh, uh, pretty precisely as well. So, um, you know, that's going to depend uh, client uh, to client there and kind of what it is that they're purchasing and uh, their comfort level with the market. But the appraisal contingency is typically not as big of a uh, concern in the seller's uh, mind as the financing contingency. So just being able to make that cash offer, remove that contingency is huge. But as I said before, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to close with cash. So often I'll have clients make a cash offer, uh, not contingent upon uh, them getting financing, but they'll often still close with a bank loan. Um, and that's uh, just a function of, you know, interest rates are so low, uh, money is so cheap, um, that even if they have the cash sitting in the bank account to make the purchase, um, so long as it doesn't negatively impact the seller's side of the equation, in that it doesn't delay closing for them to go through this uh, uh, bank loan underwriting process, they'll often, uh, you know, still get a mortgage, still close with a mortgage, uh, but their cash offer means that, you know, if the bank denied it or couldn't get it done in time, et cetera, they have to go ahead and close it with cash. And I think that's an important distinction. There, there is a paragraph or a sentence or two in the contract that we use typically that does say that the, the buyer has the right to the change up the lending or the financing as long as it doesn't negatively affect the seller, right? So either on time or fees or anything like that. Um, that is an option that the buyer has that's written into the, the contract. Yeah, if you made a cash offer and said we're going to close in two weeks um, and then tried to get a bank loan, well, that's going to negatively impact the seller. You know, the seller, obviously, in, in those situations, a quick closing without financing, um, you know, they've probably uh, traded uh, the strength of that buyer's uh, wherewithal there. Um, by lowering the purchase price of the property. So uh, at the point you, you negotiate a deal like that and then say, oh, by the way, we're going to go get a bank loan, that's not going to fly. You know, a bank loan is going to take 30 to 45 days to close, um, and that would negatively impact the seller's position, and they would have you know, made some concessions on the price in order to get a cash quick closing. Uh, so you can't you know, pull a, <laughs> you know, a bait and switch on them in that regard. But if you had a deal that had a 30 to 45 or a 60-day closing, you make the cash uh, offer not contingent upon financing, um, and then you go ahead and get a bank loan. So long as you're not delaying the closing or, or uh, negatively impacting that seller's position uh, in any way, uh, you certainly have the uh, ability to do that. Now, let, let me turn this around on you a little bit, if I may. And if you're representing a seller, you've been talking so far this podcast about representing the buyer side. But if you're a seller and you do a lot of work in the high end, and I'm guessing that at the higher end, there generally isn't a, a big bidding war for a lot of these properties. And so the, the offers come in one at a time. So what do you tell your client when they get a cash offer? How do you sort of approach that discussion with your, your seller? Why should they even consider it? Why should what, what are the pros and cons from a seller's point of view? I'd say the biggest uh, advantage is, is that at the high end of the market, we have a lot of non-conforming properties, um, meaning that the, uh, the properties aren't going to fit kind of the typical underwriting guidelines. We have uh, homes with excess acreage, uh, secondary uh, structures on the property. Uh, the values of these homes can be kind of outliers uh, compared to the overall market. Those can all uh, cause underwriting headaches uh, at a bank. 
Um, and not only do we have these uh, non-conforming properties, uh, we also have non-conforming borrowers. So uh, even though they may be very wealthy, um, have you know phenomenal incomes um, and asset bases and things, uh, the underwriting for the high net worth individuals can get uh, a little messy. Um, you know, we have people with very complicated uh, 1099 uh, and K-1 uh, structures, you know, where they report their income. Those can be uh, huge headaches when we get into the underwriting process. And, and I'd say particularly, uh, it, it really depends on the lender, but particularly we, we see these issues crop up most commonly with the big national banks. Um, you know, they've got uh, huge underwriting uh, processes that, you know, that they go through um, and they're uh, centralized uh, locations in, you know, Jacksonville or, or Oklahoma City where every file, you know, for a mortgage application in Louisville is getting shipped off to some other market where they're uh, grinding, grinding it away <laughs> at it, you know, in a cubicle with no context of who this borrower is uh, or what this property is. And it's, uh, you know, they're just checking, going down a checklist and, uh, and there's no common sense kind of approach to the underwriting writing, particularly at the national lenders. Um, the local uh, and regional lenders do a great job with this. Um, so back to your question, why would a seller want a cash offer? Um, it's to hopefully avoid the process that somebody goes through a national lender uh, who's a self-employed business owner with a complicated uh, income structure um, on a property that maybe is a little bit of an outlier or has things that the bank may flag in their underwriting process. So, um, you know, I've seen these drag out uh, with some of the big, big banks, um, you know, 60 days before they finally tell us, no, we can't do it. And oh, you're looking at it crushing. going, yes, and by that time, everybody's exhausted with the process. You know, the buyer and seller both have deal fatigue, but you step back and you look at it, you go, my gosh, you know, this buyer may have a seven-figure income, right. <laughs> you know, and they can't buy this house. Are you kidding me? Um, and it's just uh, that the, the lack of common sense underwriting that the, some of the big national banks are constrained by makes it very difficult. Um, so those smaller uh, you know, local or regional lenders, they're fantastic to work with. We've got great relationships with that. But I'd say that's a big uh, point of differentiation on the uh, uh, you know, who a buyer selects as an agent, making sure that you pair them up with a lender who's going to get the job done for them and not drag them through a process that's uh, excruciating. I mean, they ask for uh, everything, uh, you know, blood samples just about <laughs> in the uh, underwriting process in this regulatory environment that we're in. And to take somebody through that and then, after, you know, only to tell them on day 45 or day 60 that, sorry, we're not going to be able to do this. Um, and, you know, by the way, you're, you know, your contract's now void because you didn't close in the time frame you wanted and you just lost the house that you were trying to purchase, and it, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's much better to... Uh, uh, to have some uh, foresight to structure these things appropriately on the front end, get them paired up with a lender uh, that's going to be able to uh, parse through their complicated tax returns um, and make sure that we get a you know a quick underwriting yes or a quick underwriting no. I mean, we'd rather if the answer is no, we'd rather know it you know in the first week than uh, after two months of uh, being drugged through the mud here. But but we would skip some of that, right? If if it's a cash offer, so you, you just sort of cut that whole piece out and that's what you're saying it's sort of peace of mind exactly here's one whole problem area that we're gonna yes yes exactly and that's so from a seller's perspective absolutely I mean just even though the buyer may be uh, fabulously wealthy um, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that they're going to be uh, make it through the underwriting process at every lender that's out there. So the cash offer just takes that off the table, takes that uncertainty off the seller side, um, and they can focus on the other terms of the contract. And then on, on either side, how much right does 
the seller have to say, prove it to me? That depends on what they negotiate into the contract. So uh, I would say again, you know, on the uh, when you're representing the seller, uh, you absolutely want to make sure somebody makes a cash offer, uh, require uh, you know language, uh, incorporate language into the uh, response that says, okay, we're accepting your cash offer, but within you know 48 hours or five days or whatever time frame uh, makes sense for that situation, uh, we require written proof of funds, um, you know, from the, uh, the bank, from, you know, from somebody that's managing those assets um, that are, you know, being used as, you know, for this cash purchase. So. And would you tell your buyer client to have that ready that that might be something that they'll need so not to surprise their, their banker and say, oh, by the way, I put an offer in on a house. I need to get this. Yes. Maybe have that ready to go. They need to have that ready to go. And if I'm representing the buyer, I'll often incorporate that in because, again, it further strengthens, uh, you know, the appearance of the offer by saying it's a cash offer, um, not contingent on financing, and we're going to have a written proof of funds within 48 hours. Or maybe we provide the written proof of funds, you know, on the front end with the uh, initial offer. But, um, again, it's just further documentation of the ability of the buyer. So, uh, you know, very important there. And I would say on the uh, seller side, you know, it, it, again, just kind of understanding the nuances of the contract, you know, you can incorporate language that says you have to have that to me within 48 hours or the deal is, is automatically voided. Um, or you can have it to where the contract becomes voidable um, in that, uh, you know, if the buyer doesn't produce it within the 48-hour deadline, uh, it's up to the seller. They can give them another day. They can give them another week to come up with it, or they can cancel it at any time if another offer comes in, um, or they just kind of get tired of, of fooling with this person. <laughs> um, so, again, just kind of understanding what would work for the situation, but uh, uh, you can have an auto, you know, a hard time frame that uh, they have to have it in by that or the deal's off, or kind of a softer deadline that allows uh, for some flexibility and puts the seller in a position of uh, control over whether or not to terminate that contract. All right. Well, it sounds like you've got this subject down cold. If someone wants to talk to you about it, they have a couple of questions. If they're interested in moving forward on a property, what's the best way to find you? Uh, you know, easy, uh, johnman.com, J-O-N-M-A-N-D.com, um, or my cell phone, 502-417-2837, anytime, 24-7. 